I'm on a little bit of a JFK kick here. If you were here last week, I mentioned um, his inauguration speech. And this week, I want to reference his other incredibly well-known speech. Maybe uh, you've heard it at some point in a history class or on the internet or whatever. This one was given September 12th, 1962. And the gist of his speech was, that America had a new and lofty goal that they were going to be striving to accomplish. A, a remarkable and unprecedented mission that he laid out for the people of America at this speech. He told them that by the end of the decade, by the end of, of the 1960s, America would put a man on the moon. Okay? And we know today that we accomplished that, which is pretty incredible. Um, but just to give you a little bit of perspective on how extraordinary this mission was, America had only entered the space age roughly a year before. Okay? The first American in space took place a year before this speech. So space exploration was a radically new territory, uh, just a crazy new idea. Okay? And, and when Kennedy started our nation towards this mission, the technology to pull this off didn't even exist. It wasn't even there yet. So they had, in this decade, to create the technology to pull this off. The computer, as you and I know it today, wouldn't be invented, Jim's laughing, right? Wouldn't even be invented for almost another 25 years, okay? And the floppy disk, I don't know if you guys remember the floppy disk, right? Uh, that held a whopping 1.2 megabytes, like barely enough to put a Word document on it today, right? Uh, that wouldn't even be invented for 20 years, okay? Uh, I, I remember hearing once that the lunar lander that actually put the men on the moon the very first time had less computer processing power than my cell phone does. So a pretty unbelievable feat of achievement here. And it's incredible to me the reason I bring this up, it's incredible to me that given a mission, given a goal, a purpose, an objective, humans went from having never left our planet to having set foot on the moon several million miles away, hundreds of thousands of miles away, 250,000 miles away, sorry. So the truly remarkable thing about this mission was, was twofold, okay? One, it was ridiculously ambitious unheard of in its ambition. And two, it was actually accomplished. I mean, it's one thing to have an ambitious goal. It's another thing to turn that ambitious goal into reality. And I believe that in part it was accomplished because it was ambitious. People rallied behind it. People rose to the call. And that's kind of the experience that I have with humanity. I think generally if, if expectations are high, we tend to meet those expectations. We tend to put in every effort that we can find to muster the strength to actually accomplish what's before us. But if expectations are low, people tend to kind of keep their energy in reserve and do the bare minimum that's required to sort of meet those low expectations. I don't know if you can relate to that, okay? And, and, and Kennedy, if he had said, someday Americans will go to the moon, do you think that we would have been to the moon by now? I honestly highly doubt it, because it's a very undefined goal. It, it's, it's sort of just kind of out there. Yeah, yeah, I think someday we'll get there eventually, right? But because we had a clear, defined mission, a goal, an incredible purpose that we were seeking to achieve, we actually pulled off what I would say was the seemingly impossible. Humans went to the moon. 
I think another beautiful example of this reality of us achieving so much more than we could ever believe we might achieve because we have a goal and a purpose and a mission in mind, Olympic records. Okay, every four years, the world kind of gathers together to watch the, the, the amazing feats of human athletic achievement. And every single time, somebody beats a previous world record. And how is it possible that we can continue to achieve, achieve, and achieve these amazing feats of athleticism again and again and again? How is it possible? Because we rise to the occasion. I remember being in high school. Somehow, whenever I didn't have sports or activities going on, I never got my homework done. But somehow, whenever I had sports and activities and all this other stuff going on, I always got my homework done. Why was it that actually the, the inverse took place, okay? It's that mission, that singular focus, that achievement. And I believe the same is true of the Christian who wants to practically follow Jesus. We have a mission. Did you know that Christians are on a mission? That there's more to this life in Christ than just personal growth and going to church. And if I ask you, what is your mission as a Christian? How would you answer that question? What is your mission? I, I believe that when the church forgets its mission, then it flounders. It fails to achieve great things for the glory of God. We fail even to see God do incredible and miraculous and unbelievable things. But when the church understands that we are on a desperate mission, we rise to the occasion and we live with that mission in mind, then I believe that God gives us an incredible power through that purpose to achieve. And we see incredible miracles take place. We see things that we can only attribute to the, the work of God in the lives of people that we know, maybe even in our own lives. We see God pour out his power and his spirit in ways that can only be called miraculous. And, and we've been given a mission as the body of Christ that makes, honestly, landing on the moon look like a walk in the park. Okay? Simple in comparison. So what I want to do this morning is answer this question, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the Christian? What's the purpose that we're here to strive towards and achieve? And to really answer that question, I want to actually start in the future. I want to start in Revelation chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. And I think you should have this on, on your notes. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is a scene from the end of time, and, and it actually reminds me of this U2 concert that I went to back, in, uh, back around 2006 in Chicago, held at the United Center. I remember being in this room with roughly 100,000 other people who had come together to scream their heads off in excitement as Bono and The Edge and these guys from U2 came out on the stage, 
Okay? And, and I believe, honestly, U2 is one of the greatest bands of all time. If you want to debate me on that, we can do so after the service. And I waited in line in hours in the freezing cold. I can still remember the moment standing outside of the mall where we were going to go to Ticketmaster and purchase these tickets at like 4 in the morning in the freezing cold in Chicago. I paid 90 bucks for nosebleed seats to that concert. And it was worth every bit of the price I paid. Okay? And, and, and as I was standing there, if you had asked me to try and actually count the number of people in the room, I couldn't have done it. I mean, the room was packed to the seams with people who had showed up to literally, literally worship this rock band as they put on this show. And it seemed like just an endless crowd of people who had an unbelievable capacity to just scream and yell and make noise. Okay? And I remember seeing women, men, young, old, black, white, racial diversity, it didn't matter. All nationalities, you would be surprised who listens to you 2 and will pay 90 bucks to go see them in concert. Okay? And there was so much energy and excitement in the room, I, I believe you could have powered a cruise ship off the static electricity in that room. Has anybody ever been to see you 2 in concert? You got to do it next time they come to town. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here, but uh, I believe that there is going to be a rock worship concert at the end of time that will put that moment to shame. And center stage is going to be Jesus crowned in all of his glory. And the noise is going to blow your mind. And the number of people there is going to blow your mind. And the audience is going to be filled beyond counting with all the people throughout history who have ever bowed and worshipped Lord Jesus as Lord, as King of their salvation. And, and the picture that we see here in Revelation tells us that represented at that worship concert are going to be people from every, or from every corner of the globe from every walk of life, every tribe, every tongue, every nationality, all coming together again to give Jesus praise and honor and glory for being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay? I love that picture of you, the U2 moment as kind of a microcosm for what it will be like, except in just mind-blowing, exponentially greater amounts. And, and what I want you to understand is, although this will be the rock concert to end all rock concerts, the place is going to be so packed out, the, the fire marshal's head is just going to explode when he walks in the room. It's actually going to be the most exclusive event that has ever been put on. With a VIP list. And the only people who will be present in that moment are going to be the people who know Jesus. And who Jesus knows intimately. And everyone else is going to be shut out. They're going to be isolated. They're going to be in the dark. They're going to be alone. They won't be present for the show. And you want to know what the mission of the Christian is? I believe it's to pack that stadium with every single person that we can possibly find who wants to be there. The Bible makes it very clear that the alternative to being a part of that worship moment, that worship experience, is hell. A place of isolation, a place of silence, a place of loneliness. Honestly, an awful place that's going to echo for eternity with just the sound of emptiness. Loneliness. 
And just so that I'm perfectly clear here, guys, the, the mission of the Christian is to tell everyone about Jesus so they can be there at that worship moment, at that worship rock concert, instead of the awful alternative. At least let them have that choice. And, and the book of Romans, where I want to go next, reminds us of the urgency of our mission as Christians to get the word out about this end of days worship experience that we find in Revelation. So let's look there. Romans 10, verses 9 through 15. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Plain and simple. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me pause there for one second. In other words, all it takes for you, for somebody that you know, to have VIP passes to this show, where Jesus is lifted up as Lord of all creation, is to simply call out to him for salvation. That's all it takes. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that what your lips say is true. And you get the golden ticket to that show. And that one simple statement that I just made here, I believe is the single most important piece of information that you will ever receive in this life. It's more important than the posted speed limit. It's more important than the IRS tax regulations. It's more important than your employer requirements for continuing employment. Okay? This is the single most important truth that the world has ever heard. Believe in Christ as Lord, confess it with your mouth, and you will be saved. But let's read on in Romans to get a better understanding of our mission. In the next couple of verses, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Look, the implication here is that the only way that someone gets the invitation to the show is if we give it to them. If we let them know that it's going down and that we want them to come with us to see Christ lifted up as Lord. How can people call out to Jesus if they don't believe? That's the question asked. And how are they going to believe if they never heard the good news? And how are they going to hear the good news if you and I don't tell them? And how can we possibly understand the importance of telling people about Jesus if we've never been called to rise to the occasion and take up the mission that Jesus gave his followers? Okay, maybe up until this point, you can get off the hook saying, well, I didn't know. I didn't know it was my job, Grady. I thought it was your job. But from this point on, you're not off the hook. Because it's not just my job, it's your job. It's not just my mission, it's your mission. It's not just the mission of Maricopa Springs or the Wells, the new church in town. It's your mission. You want to know what the true mission and purpose of your life is? I believe it's to invite people to know the love of God found in Jesus. To give them that inv invitation. 
and invite them to come along with you to this worship concert that will take place at the end of days. You want to know why you live in Maricopa, why God has you living in Maricopa? For some people, I think that's still a very important question. Why me? Why here? Okay? You want to know why? It's to tell people about Jesus. You want to know why you have the job that you have working at the company that you work for? It's to tell those people about Jesus. You want to know why God has blessed you with the privilege of children, raising children, so you can tell them about Jesus. You want to know why God has allowed you to retire and spend the, the, the next few, well, next hopefully many years of your life enjoying all of your hard work and labor? It's so you can tell people about Jesus. And you want to know why God's given you the friendships that you have, the relationships that you have, the neighbors that you have, the various spheres of influence that you carry throughout your life? The reason is so you can tell those people about Jesus. The mission of the Christian who truly follows Jesus is to tell people about how amazing he is. You know, forget going to the moon. We're saving the world. I mean, you want to talk about a a high and ambitious and lofty goal and vision and purpose and mission for your life? Forget the moon. We are literally saving the world from destruction. There is absolutely nothing greater that you could do with your life than to be a fool for Jesus and tell the world about him. Nothing greater. And that's the purpose of your life, I believe, whether you're a pastor or a janitor, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a CEO, whether you're a scholar or a union member, whether you're a day laborer or a lawyer, That's the purpose of your life, and that's your calling. The life of every person who lives ends either at the worship concert where Jesus is lifted up and crowned as Lord of all, or it ends in the hellhole of self-absorption. And people need to hear that that is a choice they have to make and a dire choice for them to make. And it's up to us to do that. Where do you want the people that you care about to end up? With you at that concert or the alternative? And and just so that we're perfectly clear in my slightly abstract verses in Revelation and Romans, um, don't cause any confusion, let me give you the mission straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, so there can be no confusion here. Jesus came and said to them, to his followers, specifically the disciples, but we continue that tradition on. He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you up until that moment when I step on stage and it all goes down for the glory of my name. And honestly, there's really not a whole lot of commentary for me to add to this statement, okay? I mean, I I guess I could stand up here and kind of wax eloquent about what Jesus means, but it's right there. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, go out and tell the whole world what it means to be a follower of him, what joy there is in giving your life to him, the hope in redemption that comes from the cross, the power of grace found in Jesus. 
All right, hopefully I've made my point very clear. So let's get to the practical stuff here, okay? Because if the mission of the Christian is to tell the world about Jesus, how do we do it? I mean, if you've been, been with us as we've gone through this series, I, I've spent you know, the first half of my time uh, talking about what the point is, what, what, what the step is that we're supposed to take, and then trying to give us some practical ways to actually do that, okay? So how do we do it? If the mission of the Christian is to tell the world about Jesus, what do we do? How do we do it? I want to give you a, a quick story first. My dad is an evangelist. He doesn't have a TV show or anything crazy like that, but he has written a book called The Sacrament of Evangelism. It's actually really good. I'd recommend that you, that you pick it up if, if your heart is moved by this message at all. It's a great book to kind of help you figure out how you live out this mission. He didn't pay me to endorse his book, by the way. Um, but, but the reason I mention him is because my dad has literally led thousands of people to Jesus. I mean, just, just one quick story before I get into my main story. I remember as a kid being in line in Blockbuster, and this guy in front of us, this young punk kid, didn't have enough money to rent his video game. And like 10 minutes later, well, my dad started talking to him. 10 minutes later, he was, he was following Jesus, okay? Like crazy stories like that, like this one, okay? My dad has this spiritual gift to tell people about Jesus. He was telling me the other, night, the other day, on Friday nights, he takes a group of students from Wheaton College who are in his evangelism class down to the city. And they do street evangelism, which like when I hear that, I, I get like nervous. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, but that's what they do. They walk around the streets of Chicago telling people about Jesus, okay? And he was down there last Friday night. He's walking down the street. He's got his students off doing their thing. It's just my dad walking down the street, and he's just praying, God, you know, lead me to the person that you want me to talk to about Jesus. And just as he's praying that prayer, this guy steps out of a bar, lights up his cigarette because he can't smoke in Chicago in the bar. So my dad goes up to this guy, and he says, Hey, it looks like you got about two minutes left in that cigarette. Do you mind if I just talk to you about Jesus? The guy goes, sure. You know, I got to be out here anyway, smoking my cigarette. Why not? And the guy proceeds to tell my dad that he just got back from Iraq. Or, I, I'm sorry, Afghanistan. His life is a mess. Fall into pieces around him. He can't put it together. And over the course of their conversation, my dad leads this guy to Jesus. And takes the next step to help him get plugged into a church so he can start working through the mess that his life is in through the lens of Jesus. And I hear that story, and I wish so badly that that could be me. Okay? I've tried this sort of thing. It's just not my style. It doesn't work. I've tried to be like my dad in this regard, and I just can't pull it off. Okay? And maybe you hear that story and you feel the same way I do. Like, wow, that sounds great, but I can't do that. Okay? That doesn't mean that you're off the hook from the mission to tell people about Jesus. Okay? It's an inspiring story, but it scares me to death too. I can't pull it off like that. But I still have the mission to tell the whole world about Jesus. And so that's okay. It's not going to look like that for everyone. My dad is just crazy like that. So let me give you a couple pointers that I believe will help you kind of accomplish this mission, keep it at the forefront of your life in whatever circumstances you might find yourself in, okay? So the first one, and there's two things that I want you to know to understand, and then there's three things that I want you to consider doing, okay? The first one, understand that people just want to be loved. Truly, people just want to be loved. 
I mean, maybe you look at this statement and it sounds a little bit cheesy, right? Oh, people just want to be loved. Let's just give them hugs and kisses and we'll go on from there, okay? Maybe it is a little bit cheesy, but it's also true. And, and maybe there are some extreme cases that are an exception to the rule, but that just proves the rule all the more. People want to be loved. And not only that, but the overwhelming majority of the decisions that people make in their life are influenced by their desire to be loved. It's a profound place to start from. And let me explain why. Let me give you an example. I know an individual who's going through the divorce of her third husband right now. Okay? And shortly after he told her that uh, he wanted a divorce, she became pregnant by somebody else, somebody who is not her husband. Okay? And it's her fifth kid from three different men. I guess actually four different fathers, okay? And it would be very easy for us to sit back and to judge her, to, to heap criticism on her life, to, to think that she's immoral and that she probably doesn't care about having a relationship with Jesus. But I would say quite the opposite. I mean, here is a person who is so desperate for love so desperate to be loved that she continues to think and hope that she'll find it in the next person who comes into her life and says that they will love her. And the circumstances, although I don't condone them, are, are really the product of a heart that is hurting and desiring to be loved and just happens to be looking for it in the wrong place because nobody's explained that it can be found in Jesus. And who loves her more than she could possibly know? Christ, Jesus does. He died for her sake, for her redemption. And the reason that I start with this idea is, is I think it's something we can all relate to, right? I just want to be loved. Don't you just want to be loved? And, and when we understand that the actions of the people around us are highly influenced by their desire for love, then it suddenly becomes easier to give people a break, to be patient, to be forgiving, to persevere in that relationship, even though there may be hurdles and speed bumps along the way. Our, our goal here is not to browbeat people over the head with Jesus and the Bible and Scripture and drag them kicking and screaming through the doors of eternity into heaven. That's not our job. Our goal is to help people see that Jesus is going to satisfy their desire for love. Their longing to feel loved and significant. And all of those pursuits, all of those actions that have failed to meet their need to be loved, that have left them bankrupt and broken and empty as they walk through life, they're all rectified through Christ. They're all made sense. Jesus. 1 John 4, 16, it says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ gave his life up for us because he loves us, and we should exemplify that love to others. So as we think about living with a missional mindset, let's remember that God loves the people that we're trying to reach. He loves them. And really, our message is just to enter into their lives and proclaim that message of God's love. That's what we're called to do. He died for us to prove his love for us, and he died for them too to prove his love for them. 
Number two, the second thing I want you to know. This is God's mission. We just have the wonderful privilege of being his teammate. Okay? We get to play wingman. We get to get the assist trophy at the end of the journey. Okay? What I want you to understand here is that God's in control. We are not called to save people. We're called to tell them about Jesus. This one brings me huge relief because I don't think anybody is more aware of my, my personal failures than me. Okay? And, and the idea of me saving the world just makes me want to go home and curl up in the fetal position and cry. Okay? But the idea of Jesus saving the world sounds awesome, sounds doable, sounds like something I want to be a part of, sounds possible. Okay? It's God who does the saving. We just have to be faithful to spread the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5, Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says it wasn't eloquent speech. It wasn't his own accomplishment. It wasn't his effort. God did it in spite of his weaknesses. Jesus is alive and his spirit is powerfully at work in the world around us. And if it was just up to us to persuade people with clever words and human wisdom, then all would be lost. Forget about it. We'd close up the doors of our church and we would go home and that would be it. But 1 Corinthians reminds us, tells us, that when we make it the mission of our life to tell people about Jesus, then it's the Holy Spirit that's going to back us up with demonstrations of power. God's going to change people's hearts. God's going to change people's lives. And he's going to use your life to draw people to him. So I want you to find courage in the fact that you can't screw it up. Okay? As long as you're living with the mission in mind and you're working towards that mission, you can't botch up his plan. He's going to pull it off. And he wants to use you to do it as his teammate. Number three, and here comes the first dare. Okay? It's about to get real from here. If you had seatbelts, I would tell you to buckle those up. Okay? Number three, pray. Pray. I want to dare you to pray for the people that you know that need Jesus. I can't say it better than Jesus does in Matthew 9, uh, verses 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God would give you a missional ministry. I want to challenge you to pray that God, that, that pray, yes, that God would bring people into your life that you can pray for, that you can talk to about Jesus. People who need to hear his message of love and redemption. I want to give you two prayers that I'm praying right now in my life. Take them or leave them. I challenge you to figure out some prayer that you can be praying, or maybe even a list of names. But let me give you the two that I'm praying. The first one, 
I've just been praying this lately. God, I'm here. Please lead me to where your work needs to be done and multiply my efforts. God, I'm, I'm available. Here I am. I don't know who needs to hear the message of your love, but I'm available. So direct me to who those people are and then multiply my pathetic efforts so that you accomplish great and powerful things. The second prayer I stole from Dawson Trotman. I think he was the president of Navigators, right, or something like that. Maybe some, somebody can back me up on that. But he says this, God, give me a man whom I can win to Christ, or let me take one who is already one, an infant in Christ, and try and train him so he will reproduce. God, give me somebody who needs to hear that message. And if it's not somebody who doesn't already know, then give me somebody who knows who I can show how to repeat that process. And I want to challenge you to pray these. I've written them down on note cards, and I'm keeping them in my Bible where I read my Bible. So that when I open my Bible, I see them right there, and I'm, I'm reminded to pray. I don't have any specific names at this point, but I'm trusting that God's going to bring some people into my life. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. I triple dog dare you to take me up on that. Okay, pray one, I know, the triple dog, right? I, br I busted it out. I want, to pray, I want to challenge you, triple dog dare you to pray one of these prayers every day. Tape it on the mirror of your bathroom. Tape it on the door of your fridge. Tape it on the dashboard of your car. Tape it above your computer at work. Wherever it is, put an alert on your phone at 7.35 p.m. every night to pray one of these prayers. You will be blown away by what God does. Did you know that Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of our generation, started his ministry by just saying, God, I'm not reproducing. I pray that you would bring me one person today that I can share the gospel with. And when he started praying that prayer, he started finding one person every day and then once he had that down, he started saying, God, bring me two people. Until he got to the point where he was praying, God, bring me a million people today that I can share the gospel with. I dare you to start with one. All right, number four, build relationships, okay? This is the fun part. This is the fun part. But it can also be uncomfortable to be challenged to build relationships, right? It should be relatively easy, though, to just build some relationships, and there's a simple truth behind this one. You, I, I wrote it down for you because when I say it, it sounds confusing. You can't tell people about Jesus if you don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Okay? If all of your friends are church folk, then it's going to be real hard to do some evangelism, to, to spread the mission. I spend, uh, I, I spend a lot of time with church, church folk. I love church folk. This is my area where I need to improve. This is the challenge that I am personally taking home with me today. And Jesus spent a good chunk of his time with people who were not church folk, with the lost people. That's what he was criticized for. You spend too much time with sinners. <laughs> okay? And he said, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor. It's the sick people who need a doctor. So here's the challenge for you to do this week, okay? This week, go home today and invite your neighbor over for dinner. Maybe you already have a relationship with your neighbor. If you do, go ahead, invite that person. You're already a couple steps ahead, okay? 
If you don't have a relationship with your neighbor, I'm literally standing here up here today challenging you. Go home today after church, swing by fries if you need to, and buy a box of cookies if that makes you feel more comfortable. Go over to their house and say, listen, I'd love for you guys to come over to my house for lunch Saturday or Sunday after church. Okay? The person who lives to the right of you, to the left of you, or across the street, I dare you to do that. At first, I think they're going to be a little bit weirded out for two reasons. One, because you mentioned that you actually go to church, right? If you said, come over next Sunday after church, they'd be like, what? People still go to church? I didn't know that. That's weird. <laughs> but then after they got past that, after that wave of shock rolls over them, I think they would take you up on it. I really do. I think they would probably say, yeah, you know what? We, we, we'll do that. We'd, we'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better, share a hamburger, whatever. And, and here's the other part of it. The first time that you hang out with them, I'm getting close to finishing up. Sorry for my, my uh, pension to talk too much. But here's the other part. The first time you hang out with them, don't bring up Jesus unless it makes sense. I mean, don't force it. Don't, don't make it awkward. If, if it's natural, I mean, if they start pouring their heart out to you about um, how they were recently diagnosed with cancer and they're looking for hope and they're you know, feeling abandoned and hopeless, it makes total sense to bring Jesus into that conversation. But if you're just talking about the baseball season that's coming up, I mean, don't force Jesus into that, okay? Just build the relationship. Invest in the relationship. Don't force it. Don't avoid it, of course. But don't feel this hidden pressure to talk about your faith in Jesus. Invest in the relationship and pray for your neighbor. And, and the wonderful benefit is, who knows, you may end up finding out that you have wonderful friends that come out of this initiation here. Jerry and Glenda have done this with one of their neighbors, and it's developed and blossomed into this wonderful friendship. And, and I, I think it's so cool that they've taken that step to make that effort. All right, number five, and I'm going to conclude it with this. Talk about Jesus, okay? I know this sounds like I'm contradicting myself because I just told you to not talk about Jesus unless it makes sense. But I want you to hear me very clearly. Talk about Jesus. Romans 10. How can they hear if nobody preaches? How will they know if you don't mention the name of Jesus? I'm not of the opinion that if we personally love Jesus and we act really nice to people and we're compassionate and socially justice-minded, that the world's going to just one day realize that we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's not how it works. In order for people that you've been praying for and building relationships with to know that Jesus loves them, you have to tell them. And if you never tell them, they're honestly, especially in this area, probably going to think that you're a Mormon. Okay, you're very nice and you like to be social. But we're not here to just build relationships and be compassionate. We're here to tell people about Jesus. And again, you don't have to force it. If Jesus doesn't come up the first dozen times, trust God that he's leading you to an opportunity to share your faith. I believe that eventually if you spend enough time with people, they're going to bear their souls to you. And Jesus fits into any conversation, I believe it. And there's going to be an opportunity to share that message, especially if you're praying and you're asking God to give you opportunities. Okay? Don't neglect to tell them about Jesus. Remember, that is the mission. Tell the world about Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Okay? I'm actually going to force you to take this action step of having somebody over to your house, a neighbor, this week. And here's how I'm going to do it. Next week, we're going to have five to seven minutes in our service 
for you to stand up in your seat and share your experience of what this was like, okay? I can see some of you are terrified. One of three things is gonna happen next Sunday. Either nobody who's here today is gonna be at church, <laughs> and it's gonna be all the people who are serving in children's ministry or who weren't here this Sunday. Two, people will forget that we talked about it and still show up, but it's gonna be an awkward five to seven minutes of our time together. Or three, you're going to take me up on the challenge and we're going to come together and hear some really, really cool stories of ways that we met neighbors that we maybe lived next to for years and never initiated any sort of relationship with. My prayer and my hope is that it will be that one. But if not, that's okay, all right? That's your, that's your homework assignment. All right, let me close. You said, I hear somebody say give you two weeks. Two weeks? All right, does everybody agree with that? I'm open to some flexibility. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want this to, be, to, to fail, so. <laughs> okay, two weeks, two weeks. Two Sundays from this Sunday, we're gonna have seven minutes in our service where I'm gonna ask you guys to stand up and share what that experience was like, all right? That does make sense, because then you can go home and say, hey, come over after church next Sunday. All right, good call. Okay, so let me close by just reminding us of what JFK said about the mission to land on the moon that I think applies perfectly to our mission to tell the world about Jesus. This is what he said. We choose to do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept and one that we are unwilling to postpone. And I would add to that, that we do it too because we're called and we're doing it for the glory of Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for our church where we can come together and be challenged. Be challenged to grow personally. Be challenged to live with a mission in mind. Be challenged to pray and to strive after Christ. And God, I pray that you would give us success as we go from here and we try and get together with our neighbors. I pray that they wouldn't be too weirded out, that they would take us up on an invitation to come over for lunch. And I pray that you would open some incredible doors to new relationships, new friendships, new opportunities to spread the word about Christ. I pray that this would be a moment where we begin to realize that the world is desperately searching for your love. And we are called to spread the good news of Christ. And God, I pray that as we go forth and we, we engage in this challenge, that we would reap a harvest. That we would become workers to reap a harvest. And we ask it in your name. Amen.